0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chitam and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you again, and thanks to them, Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for all runners. They create a personal Shopping experience for both men and women at any stage in their running journey. It's fun. It's easy. First, create your profile at MercuryMile.com. Two, pick a shipping date. And three, receive and explore a curated box of incredible apparel. I know I'm reading that. That's their copy. But I'll tell you, it is incredible. i, I wore some of that stuff today on my long run, and uh, the pants were just great, and I would have never picked them out for myself. So uh, I appreciate uh, appreciate Helen, who curated my box. So incredible, incredible apparel for from your personal stylist that matches your fit, style, and unique running needs. Keep what you love. Send back anything that you don't. It's free shipping and free returns, as always, and no subscription required. What could be better than that? Try it today at MercuryMile.com. And if you use RamblingRunner10 as your promo code, not only will you save $10, but you're going to help the show too. What's better than that? So, if you want to give it a shot, please do. Use RamblingRunner10. That would be great. And on today's episode, I am privileged to be joined by Rachel Davis. So Rachel had a very interesting experience last year at the 2017 Boston Marathon. By interesting, I mean she ran her second marathon ever and literally had the runner's dream. She had the perfect race. She negative split by six minutes. She far exceeded her goal pace. Um, It was only her second marathon, which usually spells disaster for people if you say, hey, This race isn't going to go as as you expected. You'd usually say that would be a negative thing. However, for her, it was a positive. And it was like super hot last year, Boston. So it really was a crazy thing. We talked to her a lot about that, considering that it is Boston Marathon Week. She's training for 2018. We talk a lot about her taper week. We talk about her training and her journey. Uh, Last year, going from finishing up Boston and being on this literal runner's high And then being waylaid by injuries and how she dealt with that and how she dealt with her overtraining. Um, And overtraining not just because she was running a lot of miles in the fall, but she is a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Alabama, Birmingham in nutrition sciences. So this woman is putting together tons of mileage while also working on her Ph.D. And because she does it in nutrition sciences, we had to talk nutrition, that's for sure. So the last 20 minutes of the episode, we dive into nutrition, and we try to keep it very practical. So we don't dive into the weeds on a lot of this stuff, even though she can dive down as far as you want to go on any topic like this. We, stayed, we kept it practical, uh, not only for my sake, but for your sake as well, and try to make it so you can gain a lot from what she's saying, and take what she's saying, and incorporate it into, uh, into your own you know training plan, diet, eating plan, whatever. So uh, I think you're going to like this show with Rachel. It's actually the longest Rambling Runner episode yet. So uh, she had a lot to say, and she did it very, very well. So lastly, I just want to give uh, one more notification that next Sunday, April 15th, we have the first Rambling Runner meetup. It's going to be from 1.30 to 3.30 in Boston at the Boston Common Coffee, Connection, I'm sorry, Coffee Company. It's at 515 Washington Street, just south of the Boston Common. It's right next to the Boston Opera House and behind the High Regency Hotel. The first 50 people will get a free Rambling Runner t-shirt courtesy of On Your Mark. That's Mark spelled with a Q. They were generous to donate um, this product to us and to the listeners, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, On Your Mark. And the first 50 are free. Granted, I'm going to be the first one in the door, so maybe you can Maybe be one of the next 49 t-shirts, because you better believe I'm getting one. I'm the host. I got to have a t-shirt. So anyway, enough about me. Uh, let's get into the show with Rachel Davis. Hello, Rachel, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast.
1: Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure, and I'm so excited to do this. I uh, I couldn't be more excited. Today is Sunday April 8th, which means you are one week away from toeing the line at the Boston Marathon 2018.
1: First of all,
0: how is is the first week or so of your taper going?
1: It's going well. I'm I'm actually starting to feel hints of rest. (laughs) So the last uh, several weeks of training were pretty heavy. So um, it's been it's been nice to back off some. I'm I'm pretty excited for April 16th because I feel like I need this week to really rest a bit more and feel fresh on, uh, on Monday. So I can't believe it.
0: So do you have any of that, like taper crazies that some people get and they like to talk about, I never experienced that, but I know for some people it like that whole taper week drives them a little batty, especially if they're the kind of people who really don't embrace rest days or time off or things like that
1: (laughs) for me for me the taper crazies are all it's just this mental battle of evaluating the work and what i've done and where i am and how i'm gonna be on race day i really i have to work hard to kind of shut that down just because you can really make yourself crazy with it but you know right now i i mean i have not actually raced since last year's boston year it's so I'm kind of just trying to stay you know at peace in that like look it's been a year but it's here and I get to race again and that's great so there's no no reason that I should drive myself crazy
0: (laughs) yeah exactly I can't wait to talk to you about that that year away from racing I know you dropped Mm -hmm. a, a 10k that you kind of treated as a practice run uh, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. and we, we, certainly can talk about that too. And, and when you're, so say this week leading into the marathon, I know for me when I I've done t- two marathons, so I don't have as much of experience as a lot of people, but that taper week that last week, I felt like I was constantly comparing how I felt to how I thought I would feel in taper week or hoped mm-hmm. I would feel and keep saying to myself, like, wait, am I feeling as rested as my coach said I would, or is that, as I believed I would feel
1: right. Yeah, I uh, I think I'm definitely in the same boat. So I've also only done two marathons. So, and they were very drastically different experiences. And now it's, you know, a year later. Um, so I kind of go back and forth of how should I feel? Uh, what What's okay? What's not okay? Um, but I'm also pretty busy with other things. So I'm just... I'm trying to focus on other things and stay busy, but also stay calm. You know, I don't want to get too stressed out like right now with my dissertation work. I don't want to get too stressed out. I want to be pretty low key um, and just I'm really just trying to trust the fact that in a week's time, a lot is going to happen rest wise. And that's that's perfectly fine. All that matters is that I feel good a week from now. So I'm trying not to think too much into this week, but, um, but it's certainly difficult. It's very much a mental battle.
0: Exactly. And like you just said, you haven't raced since last year at Boston, but Hey, Mm -hmm. what a race to take a rest off of you kicked some butt last year at Boston. (laughs)
1: Last year. Yeah. Last year was, it was certainly a dream. Um, so my first marathon was September, 2016. I ran the air force marathon and I had no idea what to expect. But I was actually able to just break three hours, so I ran a two fifty eight there, and um you know I was pretty shocked but but it was great, and i you know I kind of fell in love with the marathon off of that, qualified for Boston, but then Boston was very much a surprise i was I was kind of hoping to p r maybe run around two fifty five ish and I ended up running a 248 with like a six minute negative split between the first half and the second half. So last year's Boston was very, very special.
0: And would you say that you went in there with kind of like the two fifty five as either the projection or the goal or however you want to say it, was that the the time that you were kind of training towards, or was that your, was that the time that you kind of identified after you saw the weather report and saw saw how hot it
1: was? (laughs) So I that was kind of the time that I had identified in training. I you know, I I thought okay, Boston it's not the easiest course and you know, who knows what the weather will be like, but it's funny, it was hot, but I I never the only time I kind of panicked about the weather was probably somewhere in the second to third mile of the race itself. Like it was you know, I was worried about the weather, but I didn't find myself too fixated on it, which maybe that's just because I live in Alabama. But um, but it was really that 255, I just, I thought that I could PR and training had gone well. So I thought, well, I'll just go out there. And I, I think that was 640s, just under 640 pace or something would have been sub 255 but um but it just ended up you know I started on that pace and slowly just kind of chipped away at the pace and then once I hit the half I honestly it was just as much of a shock to me as it was to everyone else that that negative split was not planned I it I mean I couldn't believe it when you know I was at mile 23 through the finish and I was going like five forty five pace or something something outrageous that I had never done in my life. <laughs> and so I was crying and it was it was certainly it was certainly a surprise. Um so, so you, I
0: yeah, you like lived the the runner's dream. Like you had like <laughs> you had like that a completely out of the box performance and did it at, at boston at the boston marathon which mm-hmm. is like the ideal for like everybody which is which really is remarkable and <laughs> and like i want to just take you back to some of that because i feel like it's it sounds like easy breezy when you when you recap it but obviously when you're going through it first of all no marathon's easy
1: mm-hmm. like, like yeah. let's just like
0: throw that caveat out there and then oh certainly also, <laughs> also like so the first half of the race you're running your your normal goal pace so internally what was the decision-making process for you when you were trying to decide when and how much to speed up?
1: You know, there was, there was never a point. This sounds crazy, but it it just kind of happened. I mean, I, I was just very much in tune with how I was feeling. And I went into the race telling myself it's very hot and i'm going to take in more fuel than i think i need so i i mean any chance that i could get to water gatorade you know there were times where i really wanted water and i would get gatorade or i really wanted gatorade and i would get water and it didn't matter what cup i picked up i was going to put it in i fueled well and that really that really helped there was never this conscious decision of okay you know i feel good here let's see if i can drop it let's see if i can drop it i was just kind of rolling with the pace, and it steadily dropped. Um, the fueling certainly helped. And I mean, the Boston crowds, I mean, last year, the weather was perfection for spectators. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's like that every year. I don't know. That was my first Boston. But Let me put this way, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, I live
0: in Rhode Island. On Friday <laughs> at work, it was snowing.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: All right. I took I took a little, like, boomerang on Instagram, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It was right. snowing on my lunch break, and it was like I had to push my tempo run onto the treadmill.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: But, yeah, I'm sure next Monday will be great, with that, with that being said.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so last year, I mean, the, the spectators, it was just to feed off of that. And, you know, Birmingham, where I live, so I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and the location that I live in, is very hilly. So fortunately, I am always running hills. So the hills were not, I was able to handle the hills, my pace was still dropping amazingly. But um, I think that was certainly because of all the hill work um, that I'd done prior to but you know, it was really it was it was truly just one of those magical races that you have no idea what you're actually capable of. And, you know, I guess, I guess an indication just before that. Um, so I'd run a 10 K and um, about four or five weeks before Boston last year. And um, I dropped a 36, 10, which I was shocked. Um, I was very, wow. very happy, but I was, I was pretty shocked because I was pretty steady I think upper five forties the entire time. It was very steady. Um, and that's just something I'd never done before. So I think just from the fall following my first marathon, um, I had a really nice build, a lot of good stability. Um, the only break that I had, I did take two weeks completely off that December because of my wedding and honeymoon. (laughs) So I just, I didn't worry about running at all during that time, but then I went right into Boston training and everything was very consistent. So it was, you know, that was probably the case of me tapping into this um, potential, I guess, that I hadn't before. You know, I've been a competitive runner for a long time, but I was actually a sprinter in college. So the distance running is um, somewhat new in the last few years.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So when you have that 248, you know, once you've kind of decompressed from the race, you're a couple weeks out. Were you? I know you're coached by James McCurdy now. Were you being coached by him then?
1: No, so actually, I just um, joined McCurdy Trained, uh, I think it was in January. It was January or February this year. Okay. So I'd actually, um, this is my first time having a coach uh, for the marathon distance event. So I was, I was kind of just coaching myself, and um, I have a really, it was a really strong running community here in Birmingham. I have so many close friends that are very competitive marathoners and I kind of learned a lot, um, at the start from them. So I just, I've just kind of went with it and I, my, so my bachelor's, um, degree is exercise physiology. My master's is nutrition and now my PhD will be in nutrition as well. So the exercise physiology background, um, combined with the nutrition really, really helped. I mean, I love, I love the training stuff. I love thinking about the scientific side of things. So I think that that certainly helped in me coaching myself. But at some point, you know, you can only play coach and athlete for so long. And for someone like me, you know, I can be very type A, controlling with things. And, you know, the way we plan things out, just like in my research and my PhD program, there's just the planning and you plan all these things you expect to these certain results, but it just, it just doesn't quite work that way with running. There isn't, there isn't a formula, you know, do a, B and C, and this is what you get. It just doesn't work that way. So that was why after a pretty difficult year away um, I was like, you know what, it's time to get a coach and that it's been really great to just trust and have that pressure kind of taken off so so it's it's been good it's been very good so far
0: so what were after that race finished up how did that result affect your short-term and long-term goals not only what you thought they could be but when you thought you could achieve them
1: so i immediately after i crossed the finish line and it had actually registered that i just ran a 248 um, I went from, you know, before I started that race, I thought I love the marathon. I'm gonna keep getting better, and in my wildest dreams, maybe I would run low two fifties lifetime. And then, surprise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then after Boston, uh, across the finish line, two forty eight. I could not believe it, and the fact that my pace was still increasing. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, I was still picking up so much speed through the finish line that after the fact it was, it was absolute, you know, fixation on getting the 2020 Olympic trials qualifier. (laughs) It was sub 245, sub 245, sub 245. I was, I mean, the motivation that I had following, I mean, it was unreal. I'm a very, very motivated person, but after Boston, it was just, you know, I could not wait to get after it and see what else I could do because distance running is so cumulative and, you know, the work that we put in day in, day out, every little bit of it matters. And you know what? Maybe a year down the road, it'll all pay off because it all just adds on top of each other. It's all worth something. So for me, I'm very process driven. So after Boston, I just, I wanted to get back to to work, but the most crushing thing was that I was so, so motivated, but one hour after the race, I couldn't walk. So my left ankle, um, apparently I had suffered a serious injury during the race, but I didn't know it until an hour after the race when everything could, you know, when my muscles get cold, all the soft tissue, everything kinda of cools down, I actually ended up with some um, pretty bad perineal tendonitis in my left foot and I couldn't run for probably six weeks after Boston. So it was it was really hard because I was so motivated and just on cloud nine from this race and then I, I couldn't even run, barely walk. So so that was that that was difficult. That started off the summer, you know, with a pretty big mountain to get over but um but I did and everything was fine it just it took some time to get back to running but the motivation was still there yeah and
0: then you had the December CIM on your calendar right so it was the marathon national mm-hmm. championships and that's always a, a great course and you always hear so much about it especially from west coast runners it seems it's like almost like the Boston marathon of the west coast in terms of like the popularity of it yes. in a way <sighs> um so it's so, so you had had that planned out you were so excited you were training for it and then it just didn't quite go your way I guess right
1: yeah so so once I came back from the injury after Boston you know middle of the summer middle to end of summer I was able to slowly start running again and while I was injured. Um, you know, I was going crazy. We all know how that goes as runners, you know, I was going nuts, but, um, but I really got some quality work done on the bike. I was still able to bike a little bit. And, you know, some days I was just so angry on the bike, (laughs) but I got a lot of work in and I don't know if it was that, or just the fact that Boston was still in my legs or, just that my mindset had shifted on what I was capable of. But when I came back, my, my, uh, I don't know, my outlook on training, running everything, it just, it, it clicked. And it was, it was looking really good for CIM. So I had, I had put in my um, elite app athlete application for that over the summer and I heard back, and I was um, – I had just missed the elite corral. I think they wanted a, a sub-246, and I was able to get into the sub-elite corral. So so that was nice. So I once I got that acceptance, I was super excited, kind of put my sights on CIM and running the sub-245, and training was going great. Um, you know, come September, I was running, gosh, faster than I – ever had um, you know I really like long tempos and that's what I did a lot before Boston last year so this time around you know I just kind of shifted the goal pace you know it whereas my tempo runs were maybe sub 630 before this time they needed to be sub 620 618 is that you know magic sub 245 pace so I just set my sights on 618s and you know training was going very well but my research was really picking up, uh, work stuff was becoming very heavy. You know, I was just under a lot of stress and that combined with, you know, I I probably became a little too fixated on what I needed to do for CIM. And while training was going great, it just created this, this very stressful, um, high pressure environment. And while some of that was work stuff, um, and just being so busy and so tired, Um, I was also pushing it so hard with the training and, you know, your body, physical or mental, your body can only take so much stress. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't do it all.
0: So what was the, what was the stress from a running perspective mentally? Like, did you feel like you were putting, like that you like had expectations that you put on yourself or that others were putting on you? Or did you feel like you had like. You wanted to capitalize on this opportunity or what, what was it mentally about the run part that drove you to that?
1: You know, I actually, so I feel like I can say that now looking back. Um, but during everything, you know, I don't know that the, I don't think the running was really bringing any negative energy, I guess. Um, for me, running is, it's just, I mean, I love it. I I mean, even if I don't have a race on the calendar, the day-to-day grind, even if it's just easy running or, you know, that and then rehab exercises or core work, whatever, like, in my mind, it all matters and it all adds up. Yeah, sometimes those things become very monotonous and it's just uh, easy miles again. But But we do them for a reason. And that day-to-day grind, I, I just absolutely love it. I love the process of training, and I know it takes time. So I, I feel like, you know, now I can look back and say, ah, I was probably putting a bit of pressure on myself. But I think the result, you know, of me feeling that way, or I guess the outcome of such a stressful situation, it was, I think it was mostly from, other circumstances it the the running just happened to be another thing in the mix you know when when life stress work stress um, when things are so heavy running sometimes the training it can become something that another thing that you just have to get through in the day and I just didn't have the time to stay on top of it and I don't think the time never slipped it was it was just it was the energy you know, I, I was getting up so early and then work stuff just with my dissertation and research. I was, I had a lot on my plate, um, classes, research, writing, publishing, like there was just much on my plate in the fall. And that with the marathon training, it it was just a pretty destructive combination for me. So, um, and for me, it started to kind of, um, manifest physically. So while, you know, some days I would get out there and I wasn't feeling great training-wise. Um, my body just wasn't going to have any of it. I mean, my heart rate was really – it was a lot higher than normal. That was the first indicator. Um, you know, symptoms of over overtraining can happen just from life stress. You know, the the physical stress that you're putting on your body in that kind of training is very much – I mean, it, it's it's very tough on your body. It, it's, a, it's a stressor. So, for me, I think the combination of stress, it just – it was not good. And I, I knew that it would not be healthy for me to continue. Unfortunately, it was November (laughs) by the time I pulled out of CIM. Yeah, I was almost there. (laughs) I was so close. But, you know, from October to November, um, my physical state, and my mental state, just the stress, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it all. So I was like, you know what, it's time to shut down. Um, it's time to shut down. <laughs> so, well, there you go.
0: Well, good for you for having the yeah. self-awareness to see it. For those of you who don't know, CM is the first weekend in December. So to hear you say like you basically yeah. see marathon training like a week before your taper, oh. <laughs> it was like yeah, was it was pretty wild.
1: It was rough, and and you could I you know looking back on my training log and just remembering how I felt, you know there were times where the workouts just slowly started to deteriorate, and it wasn't this you know, it wasn't this feeling of like, Oh, I'm still working hard. Everything's okay. But I'm just not hitting my times. It was, I mean, if anyone has experienced overtraining, um, you know, overtraining doesn't always mean you just push too hard. You just ran yourself into the ground, you know, life stress, other circumstances can contribute. And for me, it was, you know, my, it was a lot of stressful situations with work and personal situations and, it just that combined with the training was too much. And it was very important for me to know that, you know, this isn't healthy on my body. And, you know, I'm not going to go and I at that point, I didn't think I was going to go and be able to run a sub 245 just because my body was really done with the training. I mean, I my it, the heart rate spikes that I had was, it was pretty, pretty crazy. I was like, this is not right. This is not normal. But for me, I just needed to shut down. And fortunately, I was able to do that with my, um, my work as well. And right, I had a research project that was ending. And by the second week of December, I was able to take about five weeks off. And um, my husband, we just, you know, the two of us, we packed up and we went. We visited family. We spent some time in the mountains. We had a really nice uh, reset. And that, that was really important. And sometimes you need that and, you know, you can't be in peak shape all the time and life stuff can sometimes get in the way. So that was, that was really why, um, I guess the second half of this last year, I wasn't racing so much, but, um, you know, my build up to Boston and joining McCurdy trained working with James, it's been, it's been really great because I've, really been able to relax and enjoy running again and my work everything um is kind of back in line now I guess apparently some of this stress is normal for a dissertation I I didn't realize (laughs) (laughs) but but everyone around me in my program has they've been saying the same thing many of my mentors they're like this is normal many a times people need some time off in the middle of their dissertation (laughs) so but I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to be loving running again. And I'm, I'm excited to race again. It's, it's been a long time.
0: And you brought up a great point when you're talking about, overtraining training that it, your life is not siloed from the other aspects of your life. And if right. you right. have a bunch of things going on, you know, that's kind of like the whole nature of this podcast, talk about people who are doing just that, who are balancing running with the rest right. of their lives. And, that's a big thing. And I was talking to uh, Audrey Springer a couple of weeks ago. actually just put out the podcast this morning with her mm-hmm. and she had an interesting thing. She was training for a marathon and you know she was like six or eight weeks into the training plan and she just wasn't feeling it. You no, know, she had run a marathon before. So she was able to compare and contrast like how she'd felt in, in previous mm-hmm. marathons. And she just like, wasn't excited about any of it. Like she like, even like the idea of running the marathon wasn't exciting her anymore. So she's like, yeah. what am I doing here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. So she just did – she just, like, changed course. So she was like, screw it. I'm just going to train for the Knoxville Half Marathon, which was going to be, like, one of her, her training races leading up to the marathon. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm just going to make that the race. So she, like, ditched the marathon yeah. plan, cut back, and then, like, ran a half marathon PR and was, like, ecstatic about her training. And it was like – Like, That's that little great. shift was enough. And obviously some people – do approach their overtraining in different ways. And it's a very personalized thing. But I think you bring up a good point that you at least had the self awareness to notice that it was going on. You were checking your heart rate and you were you were able to evaluate the rest of your life as well and say, oh, it's coming from these these couple of different factors. And then, you know, able to to adjust and then five weeks later, five weeks later, you know, here you go. Back into marathon training.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It it I think it can be very difficult to be that with yourself um yourself as an athlete how you're feeling physically mentally being in tune with how those sides of your life are very much intertwined um it's it's difficult um it's very very difficult but you know and i and i'm the type of athlete that when it comes to training if if anything i will work too hard (laughs) and that that brings up the difficulty of not having a coach and really trying, you know, to do something and train heavily like that. That's where it becomes very difficult because sometimes I I would kind of think, okay, is this how I should be feeling? You know, this doesn't feel great, but I think I can push through. Whereas, you know, a couple times throughout this training cycle with James, we'll talk and... He's like, no, no, we'll, we'll cut this. We'll do this. Um, I think this will be better. And, uh, you know, we're kind of going back and forth discussing and, and he's like, Hey, this is why you have a coach. <laughs> and I'm like, exactly. Because I, you know, before I probably would have made the wrong decision, you know, I would always make the decision. Well, I need to do a little bit more, a little bit more. You know what? Sometimes, you know, more does not equal better. Um, too much of a good thing can certainly be bad and too much training, too hard of training, not backing off when you need to can, can, you know, be a recipe for disaster. So it's helped a lot to have a coach and that guidance and, and just to take it easy, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm not as fit as I was a year ago, Um, you know, to go out there and have a crazy performance like last year, again, you know, the chances of that are unlikely. I think I do have a chance to PR, but it, it, it'll be, you know, it would probably be a, a tough, tough race and I'll really have to push, um, to get that out of myself. Whereas last year, you know, I, I had such a lower expectation than what I was actually capable of. And that's why the situation turned out like it was. That's why I had that magical race, but you know, now it's, I still have a lot of work to do. Um, but I'm really excited for what the next year is going to bring. You know, whenever I have that race, hopefully CIM this year to go after that trials qualifier, you know, it's all this time is worth it. You know, you can't rush the process. You can't rush fitness. And for me, it's something that I may have to redevelop develop in some areas and that's okay. So, but I, but I am really excited for Boston, whatever it's going to bring, I'm going to, you know, give it all that I can. And, I'm really excited. And I think once I get back there, it's going to bring back a lot of excitement and just remembering last year. And, um, it's just hard to believe that a whole year has passed, but, but it'll be great. Hopefully we'll have cooler temps this year though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's funny how you mentioned before that you loved the long tempos and that was the part of the training that you really enjoyed. Um, the, the, at least these, one of the major mm-hmm. workouts that you really enjoyed doing in the buildup and the reason I thought that was surprising is considering your background as a 400 meter in college, an 800 right. meter runner, the long tempos I would have thought were going to be like the exact opposite. I mean, you'd be like, yeah. no, that is the ex- <laughs> that that is what I do not want to do. Can we just do three by two mile? Like that would be much better. Right. For me. Um. But so I was going to ask you about just you know the conversion from short to middle distance to marathon, but it sounds as if like that that quality you just mentioned that kind of like continuous drive to improve and do Mm -hmm. more. Do you think, like, did you have the self-awareness to say, Hey, I have this built in maybe marathons for me, or do you think that just happened to be like, I guess, a happy coincidence that like you end up wanting to do the marathon and you had these kind of uh, already built in positive characteristics (laughs) that helped you in that training? You
1: know, I definitely think the latter because so in college, the 400 hurdles was the event. I was recruited for that event, and that was my best event all through college. Through my senior year, um, 400 hurdles, the 4x4, four four, those were just – that was my thing. Um, but then towards the end of college, I, I had some back issues one year. And it would just because of the back issues, there was a fall that they needed some extra people on the cross-country team. And I had a little bit of, you know, more of a distance ability, at least for a sprinter. And um, with my back issues, they thought maybe some longer training um, instead of speed and hurdle work in the fall would be a little bit better on my back. So so I started running cross country and it just, it actually helped my hurdling quite a bit. Um, I ended up running a pretty big PR that next year, which was my senior year. But so I had, kind of had this little bit of transition into cross country. And then my coach at the time um, thought that maybe I had some potential in the 800 just because of that combination of the speed and a little bit of the distance work. So I actually ended up running the 800 for a couple of years post collegiately. So after I graduated, I continued um, while I was getting my master's. I actually was the director of ops for the team here at UAB. So I was still able to train post with my same coaches. Um, I was traveling to the meets, I could compete. I mean, it was great. So my training kind of inched up in that direction toward, you know, the 800. I was, that went pretty well. And when, um, and when, not, when you, you were know, doing the
0: eight hundred, what were some of like the when you weren't on the track doing speed intervals, what were some of the longer runs you would do? And just to put that in perspective, I had Nick Simmons on the podcast a couple months ago and he was said like he was still doing twelve to thirteen mile long runs, even like in the heart mm-hmm. of his eight hundred meter
1: training. Now, I don't I think in the middle of the season I we were certainly maximizing my speed. So I wasn't doing probably 10 to 13 mile runs. I think I was more so doing like 10 or 11 during the season, whereas in the fall and maybe in the indoor season, I was doing as high as 13, maybe 14, Um, but rarely. I mean, that was was a big deal for me to go out and do that. And when I would do that type of run, I mean, it would – I feel like I would just – be on the couch for the day. (laughs) It was, I mean, that was exhausting to do that, but the longer stuff I would more so do in the fall um, as base training. But during the season, I think, yeah, I think I did 10 or 11 mile runs as my long ish run. Um, But we were still really doing and kind of maximizing my speed side. So I was on the track a lot.
0: So what Um, was, so what is the positive benefit of doing that pull, 10 mile plus run for someone who's training for the 800 meters.
1: You know, there's still the or the 800 is not purely anaerobic. There's I mean there's a large speed component, but having that base, having that strength um I mean that was such a big big player for me. Um, you know, I had the speed, but it was that the more aerobic fitness, that development that I really needed to add in. And I, the longer runs, the cross country seasons before, um, the outdoor, the indoor and outdoor season, that really, really helped me. I mean, I, the first year that I ran cross country, taking it back to the 400 hurdles, I, I, you know, I was pretty speedy with the hurdles, but after running cross country and keeping some mileage in there and running, um, I had during the indoor season, I ran the 800 a little bit, my final outdoor season. I mean, that was the year that I ended up running 58 in the 400 meter hurdles. And that was after that was after the cross country season. And I, I mean, I, there was a lot of back and forth of, Oh, is this going to make, this might make you slower. You know, you're doing too much longer stuff. But I wasn't out there training like the, you know, best 5K and 10K runners on our team. I was still hammering the speed work. But that, like, there's, there's magic in that combination. And if you look at, you know, the best of the best at the 800 meters in the U.S., I mean, these athletes are, they are incredible on both ends of the spectrum. So I think really maximizing both of those systems, it's for those events. And sometimes it's overlooked, but I mean, when we look at how fast the 800 is now, I guess we want to more so lean towards the speed side, but that base is, it can be extremely beneficial.
0: The reason I bring that up and I, I love how you, how you dove into that completely is that even for me, so I usually do the 5k and there's plenty of people who are listening to mm-hmm. this will, who will do the shorter the shorter runs. That's shorter runs, I'm sorry. The shorter races. And they might say, like, why do I have to run 10 to 12 miles, be on my feet for an hour and a half, two hours? Like, my race is, like, so much shorter than this. How can this possibly be, like, that mm-hmm. big of a deal? And, like, I know, hey, <laughs> guilty as charged. I know I've thought that <laughs> in the past by my own training. Yeah. Usually on days <laughs> where I don't want to go running. Um, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother.
1: Hey, we all go there. We all go <laughs> that's there. That's a whole Don't other worry. story. But
0: <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you say that because it, if it has that big of an impact on a 400 meter, 800 meter runner, obviously it's going to have an impact on someone running a 5K or a 10K. I mean, forget 10K, that's obvious. But even a 5K, um, I think that that really brings it home for me, you know, why these very long aerobic easy runs can can be so instrumental in helping to improve even people who are who are trying to uh to gain speed
1: absolutely you know it's it i I think it's it's certainly a common misconception when you look at mileage and then maybe a speed athlete and it's like this this doesn't make sense but it also it is very individualized but generally speaking you know in these events where you can kind of maximize both at the spectrum. Like I said, you know, there's a time and a place for the long, slow distance, but then there's a time and a place for the speed work. And especially, you know, now that my perspective has so shifted since I, from <laughs> the marathon now, it's like, gosh, the 5k, it's so speedy. And it's so short and, you know, 3.1 miles of just agony because it's so fast, but it's, but it's so true. I mean, the speed work there, there is a place for it, but the long, you know, the longer work, is just as important. So it's, you know, truly when you look at these athletes, I mean, Brenda Martinez, other big time, 800 meter runners. I mean, they are so, you know, so worked on both ends of that spectrum. You know, they are so fast with the shorter stuff, but these long runs and long tempos that they're doing, um, you know, they have to, they're very, very good at the, you know, 1500 meters and, usually very good, even up to 5k. So it's just, it's very interesting. You know, athletes are different. It depends on the background. I, but for me, you know, I was a 400 meter hurdler that really came from the strength side. I was never going to be, you know, a 100, 200 meter runner because I couldn't get out of the blocks fast enough you know, I couldn't, by the time I'm up to speed, the race is over. (laughs) So the 400 hurdles was perfect for me because you add in barriers, which makes it a little bit more difficult on the fitness side. And I could have time to build into it and then, you know, have a stronger final 200 meters. So we could kind of see that early on in my training that, okay, this is the type of 400 meter hurdler that she is. So then when I shifted to the 800, it was great because I could develop my aerobic side while keeping the speed side intact. And that made me even better, you know, with the 800. And, and then after that, it just, at some point, you know, my time on the track had to end. I wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere with it. Um, I wasn't getting much faster, but it was also difficult with my lifestyle. Um, My master's was when I really started getting into the research. My thesis work was very heavy And then that transitioned into my dissertation work um, because it's the same program at UAB. It's the Nutrition Sciences PhD program. So as I transitioned to that, the technical work of the track was just, it it was too difficult. And it just didn't fit my lifestyle anymore. So naturally, I transitioned to the longer stuff on the way. I met some incredible friends who are now my, you know, training partners. We match up wonderfully fitness wise we do so much of our work together and and the rest is history that's how I got into marathoning and I still you know it's nice to touch on some of the speed stuff it's been great because James McCurdy um he has really you know recognized those strengths of my speed um with my background so we've been doing quite a bit of fast stuff and that's certainly where I'm lacking right now probably from the time off in the winter but But, you know, the speed, the speed will come back and the base is most important. So if this training cycle really serves as the base for the training that I need, you know, to get the trials qualifier in the winter, hey, there's the purpose right there. So it all, it all serves a purpose. That's for sure.
0: That's for sure. And you mentioned that the common misconception to the 10 to 13 mile are not affecting the speed work. And we're going to get into plenty more common misconceptions. We're oh, going to yeah. talk about your, your, your nutrition studies, absolutely. your dissertation, <laughs> your background. Um, before we do, I want to just do one quick word. If you don't mind for our sponsor here, oh, absolutely. Uh, it's Mercury mile. See, you're busy, Rachel, you're running your dissertation, your marathon training, you're doing all <laughs> this stuff. I'm busy. I got two crazy kids running around. <laughs> one thing that I don't have any time for is shopping frankly. So I really appreciate Mercury Mile sponsoring this show. They're a service that will send you out a box with curated running gear and apparel. If you don't like anything, you just send it back. And the reason I love it, frankly, is it just saves me time. I feel like Mercury Mile, for me, I'm not buying gear. I'm buying time because shoot, tomorrow I'm running a long run. I'm doing it on (laughs) a Monday morning, which stinks because I'm doing it before work. But I'm doing it because this has been such a crazy weekend for me with the kids. I had to do my taxes today. And my favorite new long running gear, uh, my long tight pants, I got through Mercury Mile. So thank you for them. If you want to get some of their gear, you want to try something out, just use promo code Runner 10 MercuryMile.com. Um, I check it out. Anyway, awesome. back to you. All right. So <laughs> you're doing a dissertation uh, on nutrition sciences. You got your master's in that as well. Mm-hmm. All at UAB. UAB times three.
1: Yes, go Blazers! Uh,
0: so there you go, go Blazers! <laughs> so, I guess first thing is why nutrition. Why? Why do you? Why do you want to continue studying it from an academic perspective?
1: You know, I have always been very fascinated with nutrition. Um, exercise physiology was my undergrad degree, so there there's just something about these topics that I can completely apply to my everyday life and really I mean all of us can when it comes down to it it's science (laughs) but for me I just that's kind of that's why I started with exercise physiology I wasn't sure what I wanted to do but I knew I was fascinated with that subject and I could apply it to myself I could really think about what I was doing every day from a scientific perspective Um, and that just naturally the next step for me I went into nutrition I considered um becoming a registered dietitian for a little while, but I just, I don't know. I just went on with the masters and I, but I really fell in love with kind of the heavy research side of things. Um, And I really, I didn't really want to get into the clinical stuff, but I, I wanted to study, you know, the nutritional biochemistry of things and what's actually happening in our bodies and why, you know, certain macronutrients are so important, why all of them are so important. Um, to me, that was just fascinating. So I just continued on. And now here I am almost almost at the end of the road of schooling. But I I just love it because I am constantly applying it to my training every day, just general nutrition, day to day fueling. Um, It's something that it just makes perfect sense with you know, the workload that I'm putting on my body with marathon training and especially with marathon training and marathoning, I mean, the nutrition component is, is crucial. So, um, so, you know, it just kind of just one of those things where I just, I just kept going and, (laughs) and now I'm finally almost done, but it has certainly paid off. That's for sure.
0: Almost there. You're only, as we were were saying in our, in our pre, uh, pre-recording call that you're going to have kind of like your, your post marathon and end of your dissertation combined all at once. You'll you won't even know what to do with all the time yeah. that you have. you will just be, you will be back, back to, you'll be like, be able to the first time in your life, you'll be able to watch Netflix. You'll finally right. not be busy.
1: <laughs> well, unfortunately, um, when I say I'm almost done, I guess to the rest of the world, it sounds like, yay, she's graduating. Um, but I actually don't graduate until December, but considering I've been working on this for the last four years (laughs) this I'm like I am almost done there's still a bit of work to do this year but um I just have this big stepping stone with my dissertation that's uh happening the end of this month so once I get through that it'll be a lot more writing for the rest of the year at least the heavy research side should be done but um but yes it will be and actually, I should be done with everything by August. Then I officially graduate in December. So it's it's going to be a good year. <laughs> it I feels it. like it's, you know, this month, though, just because I've been waiting to see the light at the end of the tunnel for so long.
0: There you go. And I had a chance to listen to your podcast on the Freedom to Run podcast, uh, mm-hmm. which actually, I was a guest on that as well. I think Jeremy does a great job. Shout out to him if he's listening. Yeah,
1: it's um, great.
0: And on that, you mentioned how one of the things for you that you really dive into is like not only with your own research, but the reading that you do in the field is really getting into the, like the the nitty gritty of what exactly is happening with dietary choices in your body, and the idea of trying to, after you figure all that stuff out, to get to the point where you can then, like okay, this is a horrible metaphor, but I guess it's pertinent is then, <laughs> to then. Send it out into the world so that it's easily digestible. I know. Roll your eyes uh, to to all the people who will be reading it. Um, But at the same time, like we've all been there, right? Like I'm there. I'm there nutrition wise. Like when I give it my best effort and people on this podcast don't want to hear any more about me, like talking about my horrible nutrition, but (laughs) even in the best of moments, I can be a little confused. And I feel like I'm someone who like tries to be up to date on things. It's easy to be overwhelmed. Um, Absolutely. I, I feel like my nutrition choices, when it comes to trying to fuel properly, I feels like I feel like every day when I look at the fridge, it feels like I'm like looking at like the uh, Cheesecake Factory menu. It's like I have like too <laughs> yes. many choices for my own good, and I don't know even where to turn
1: sometimes. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's um it's very difficult because most of us, you know, what do we turn to? We turn to the internet, and it's. You know, there are people in my area where reading scientific scientific articles is, you know, the daily usual. But to the majority of people, it's like reading another language. It's, I mean, it's those articles; they're just so heavy, and and it, it's just that's not what people need to sit down and read when they're looking for what's actually going to work nutrition wise. So then so then on the other end of the spectrum you have these articles where most of them are not really, really any, you know, scientific evidence in mind. They're maybe based off of fad diets or the latest trend and most of those trends are directly linked to weight loss which in many people's minds automatically equals healthy, which is not Always the case.
0: Well, see, I'm so, on i di- I'm on a fad diet right now, Rachel, because I saw in a post that you said <laughs> people should eat the rainbow. So I've been eating Skittles every meal ah! since you posted that. Hey,
1: if you saw my uh, Instagram story the other day, I said eat the rainbow, and I said, "Oh, see, I'm, see,
0: I must people. I must have sweat so you, before I saw that."
1: So you must have missed that.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so, oh, all right. So under the great. guise of trying to make it so that you're making nutrition palatable. For the average everyday person, um, let's talk about a couple of things. I feel like most runners go through and we can kind of Mm -hmm. touch on like your own personal and your professional um, viewpoints on Mm -hmm. these. All right. First thing is, and you're, you experienced this recently, as your mileage goes up, it feels like your hunger goes up like twofold. Right. So how much (laughs) of that is just like, that's your body craving more food and how much of that is like, maybe you're not eating Quite what you should be eating, and that's just like how it manifests itself as like a symptom of that
1: you know it's absolutely a combination of the two, and that's kind of going back to what we were talking about before with being in tune with your body, so the more balanced of a diet that you eat, the more consistent you are with what you're eating, um, if you're feeding yourself you know good quality well rounded meals your body you actually become more in tune with those signals because the signals are, I guess, more correct when you're fed properly, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, if we're eating junk food all the time, if we're eating a lot of sugar all the time, those signals are a little bit out of whack. And that's why when you eat so much sugar, a lot of times you just want more sugar. (laughs) It just continues the cravings. So that, that would be an example of those signals kind of being out of whack. But if you're eating well-balanced meals a lot of times those signals they truly are telling you you know look you're not feeding me enough you're working me really hard and you're not feeding me enough so when marathon training is gets really heavy when your mileage goes up when the intensity goes up a lot of times that's your body signaling that you do need a little bit more Um, i've certainly been there i've been in you know points in training where my mileage intensity, everything was really ramping up. And I unintentionally did not, you know, add those calories back in Um, carbs. That was an area that I wasn't, I I thought I was eating fine. I was full, I was satisfied, but I started to feel really tired. And I actually, you know, through a little bit of math and um, monitoring what I was eating every day, I realized I was not eating enough carbs And that's, you know, you've probably seen in some of my blog posts and, you know, my last um, podcast that I try to stress the importance of carbs, um, especially to other runners, because one of the biggest fad diets right now, um, you know, maybe fad diet isn't the right word, but one of the most popular things right now is the ketogenic diet and reducing carbs. But that's something that I personally believe just really isn't feasible for a runner who's interested in performance uh, because I've been there. So a lot of times those cravings, those are absolutely the signals of, look, I need a little bit more. And a lot of times it's carbs because when you're doing that type of exercise, when you're stressing your body in that way, your body is primarily going to be pulling from your carbohydrate stores and your muscle. So um, that's kind of your body's first line of defense Um or first source of fuel um that it's going to go to so it's really important to pay attention to those signals we're talking about performance um usually those feelings mean something and it's about fueling yourself following your miles but also feeling yourself correctly you know Cake is carbs, but maybe don't eat a cake. <laughs> maybe have something a little bit more ba- more balanced, maybe some rice or oatmeal or
0: something. There you go. And that leads me right into the second thing is that, you know, there's a difference between fueling per- for performance versus exercising for weight loss, right? I mean, these are exactly. very, two very, and very different things.
1: Yes. And that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because, or clarified that because that, you know, when people ask me, okay, what do I need to eat? I I need to clean up my diet. I my my first question is, what are you trying to get out of this? Why do you want to clean up your diet? You know, if someone's looking for weight loss and okay, they want to reduce carbs, great, you know, that's shown to be effective, absolutely. But if you're a marathon runner or runner at all and you want to run fast, you can't go low carb. (laughs) I mean Physiologically speaking, what happens during exercise, your body cannot be trained to get, to not prefer carbs first. So so I always I always try to clarify that because sometimes individuals may not know exactly what they're going for. Maybe they want to be healthier, maybe they do want to lean out a little bit, but but if performance is your number one focus, then you do have to be careful in the way that you approach the diet and you know, here's my disclaimer. I'm not a registered dietitian. I don't, you know, I don't treat individuals, um, with any, you know, dietary issues or anything like that, but speaking from, you know, the knowledge that I've gained over the many years of studying this and the fact that I am an endurance athlete myself. And your
0: dissertation uh, is on a keto topic.
1: (laughs) Yes, it actually is. So, uh, so I'm, it's, while it's not, testing ketogenic diets or anything like that. I'm very much studying those pathways and what's going on in the body with ketogenesis and when your body is using ketones and, you know, why we actually have that system in our bodies and what, what, what it's used for. And um, so it's a, it is a topic near and dear to my heart, but also when, you know, when I see endurance athletes or people who are interested in performance going keto, I mean, keto True keto is you're consuming like five to 10% of your calories from carbs.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like goodbye fruit. Goodbye. Like all of these good foods that you think might be good for you. It's like, no, you're like jettisoning all of them.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? Hey, there's a time and a place for that, but I don't believe that it's for performance. So, um, so I'm so glad that you clarified that the difference between weight loss and performance, because I think that's something that it can be very confusing Um, but the answer to any diet question, I mean, it's going to change drastically based off what you want the outcome to be. So, so it's something that I'm really interested in. And since I'm, you know, on the heavy science side and I have a standing of everything, um, surrounding nutrition and performance and health, um, I, I just want to be able to convey that information to people in a. In a simple way, because the scientific jargon and all of that, I mean, it's, it's very complicated in that you've got that on the internet, and then you have all of the bogus material with no science to back it up. So it can be really hard to tease those things apart, especially for individuals who are interested in performance, because most of what's on the internet, a lot of it is targeted towards weight loss, you know, most people diet to lose weight. So a lot of what's on the internet is going to be focused on that and that's not for everyone. So, uh, so it's very important. Very, very important. Yeah. And
0: I was talking to Matt Fitzgerald about, about some of these topics and he was his -hmm. favorite, not his favorite, but I know he says it a lot is that that carbs are rocket fuel, which is basically very similar Mm -hmm. to something you just said, (laughs) but if you want to go fast, you've got to have carbs. It's just like, that's just the way it goes.
1: Absolutely. As, I mean, as your body, as you increase intensity of exercise, the utilization of carbohydrate goes way up. So, I mean, it's, it's a match. (laughs) If the higher, the more intense you go, the more you need carbs. That's why during a marathon, um, of course during a marathon and longer events like that, you're, um, likely going to be depleting your glycogen, which is your stored carbohydrate and, that's why we fuel with pure carbohydrate because hitting the wall is when you you're running low on glucose and your glycogen stores are about empty. So, um, that's why we fuel with straight carbohydrate for an endurance event like that. But I mean, at any time as intensity goes up, your body's going to be pulling from the carbs, you know, fat utilization is important. That's, that's there of course. Um, but the lower intensity, the more you're going to be utilizing fat. So it's, it's really, it's this complicated thing that I, I think with the ketogenic diet and all of that, yes, with that diet, you are maximizing fat utilization, but it, it comes down to efficiency and at the rate that you can produce the energy that you need or produce the ATP you know, um, that you need for that specific event. So it really just, glucose is going to be the fastest and most efficient way to get that. So, I mean, when it comes to performance, there's, there's no other way. So there you go. it's, uh, that's it. That's it. All <laughs> right. So it's,
0: it's taper week for you. So what is your nutrition mm-hmm. going to look like day by day and then leading up to race morning?
1: So I generally speaking, I mean, we, we eat a lot of the same things, <laughs> you know. For dinner, a lot of nights, you know, we usually have a salad. Um, we have a salad on the side, of course, um, and then we have a lean protein and a carb source. So, like tonight, we had chicken breast. Usually, cook it different ways. Um, I have lots of sweet potatoes going into the marathon, but I, I usually eat sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes. I love quinoa, um, rice. We bought some. Jasmine rice for this week. A lot more sweet potatoes. Um, this week, I'll slowly just up my carb intake. So normally, I'm consuming a good amount of carbs. Um, I usually have oatmeal in the morning. I really like my avocado toast. As anyone who's been on my website can see, the and you have oatmeal, that. but it's
0: not just oatmeal. I mean, there's much more to it than that. Like you have a very like, yes, very like picturesque oatmeal
1: yes so you can you can do a lot with oatmeal so I basically always have plain oats in the house usually it's always going to be plain oats chia seeds I really love chia seeds um my classic one is going to be that with peanut butter honey and sea salt that is like if you like sweet and salty it's (laughs) it is so good so that's that's my favorite I do that all the time um but sometimes I mix it up and um a little extra protein and carbs if you make it with milk. So I do that um, for sure. That can help the flavor. Um, Coconut butter is really good. Coconut butter, blueberries, and sometimes vanilla protein. So you can just, you can have so much fun with oatmeal. You can you can do overnight oats. You can throw in nuts, dried fruit. Um, I mean, there's just, there's so much that you can do. Oatmeal doesn't have to be boring. Um, I don't remember the last time I bought like pre-packaged, oatmeal mix or whatever. I mean, there are just so many things that you can do. So I do a lot of oatmeal recipes. I'm snacking on a lot of fruit, um, lots of fruit, lots of bananas. I'll have one or two, probably two a day this week. Um, like I said, I love the sweet potatoes. Sometimes I'll do like a lentil salad, um, at lunch with some sweet potatoes, some avocado. Like I, I usually throw together a lot of fresh things. um, I cook a lot, but I don't take a ton of time cooking. You know, usually it's things that I can throw in the crock pot, like what's going to be our base for our lunches for the week. We'll throw in chicken breast and rice or something. And then we have this big pot of chicken breast and rice for lunches for the week. And we can just kind of like doctor them up however we want to mix it up. Um, My husband takes it for his lunch too for work. So, um, You know, so we do a lot of that, lots of fresh stuff. But this week, you know, is going to be slowly upping the carbs. And then, you know, come race weekend, a lot of what I'm eating will be carbs. So, you know, you kind of you do that because so it takes some time to replenish your glycogen stores in your muscles. So glycogen is stored in your muscles and your liver. And the more carbs you eat, you know, that's that's the whole point of carb loading. You want your glycogen storage capacity to be as large as it can be, because that's what you're going to be. That's going to be your main focus for race day. So, you know, come race weekend, it's going to be, you know, same thing with the oatmeal, but last time around, I think we had, um, we made pizzas one night for dinner. We had pasta and chicken the night before the race. You know, I would kind of snack on like bagels, dates, bananas, those, those kinds of things. So come race weekend, it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's just a lot of cards. <laughs> there you go.
0: And you mentioned something on the freedom to run podcast was, which I thought was interesting. Um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised given your level of knowledge, but it was so like, it was so like X's nose versus like my like typical, like just like going by the seat of my pants with my nutrition. Is that like how you mentioned <laughs> how like leading into race day, like maybe like 24, 36 hours before you'll cut back on the fiber. And then like the morning of race day, at least the last Boston Marathon, you had, was it plain white bagel, peanut butter, and honey on race morning, as opposed yes. to like the, the, the whole wheat bagel that you normally would have in that situation?
1: Exactly. So I think that's another, it's another difficult thing out there because we're like, oh, white breads, they're so bad. All these things are so bad. They're not bad. I mean, it's really, no food is bad. It just depends on how and when you consume it, you know? So, there's nothing wrong with having a white bagel. You know, the, the weekend of the Boston marathon, I was, we had a Panera right by our, our hotel. And, um, (laughs) I would go and just pick a couple delicious bagels that I liked. And I just had like, when I wanted to snack on something, sometimes I would just snack on a bagel. Like it was, that's fine. So yeah, I, I really, I usually eat a lot of fiber, eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Um, I love kale and broccoli. I cook with kale and broccoli all the time. Um, I used to have iron issues, so kale and broccoli it's it's great because um, you get some iron, vitamin C, and I find that when I keep those pretty heavily in my diet, um, my iron storage levels stay a bit higher. So I try to add those into so many different things, um, but those are very fibrous vegetables. Um, so since I'm usually eating quite a bit of fiber come race weekend, you know, I, I don't really drastically change anything, but as it gets closer to race day, you know, I'm not chowing down on the chia seeds and those types of things because you want things to be easy on your stomach. And for me, you know, putting in fuel gels, Gatorade, I mean, that can, that in itself Because you're working so hard, your blood flow is trying to go to your muscles, which are working hard, but then you're putting in fuel during the race. So your digestive, you know, the processes are going to be functioning a little bit differently, which is why a lot of us have tummy issues post-race or, and, you know, as long as it doesn't happen during the race. (laughs) If you want to hear those, if you want to hear those those stories, (laughs) I advise you to listen
0: to the funny stories episode here at the Rambling
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we all, all of us runners, we know how that goes. So keeping it easy on the stomach is most important. So I think that's totally acceptable um, during race weekend, you know, the days leading in, it depends on how your diet normally is. But for me, I, I usually have a lot of fiber, So I, I like to reduce that a little bit because I want things to be, you know, easy, no tummy issues, stick to what I've been practicing in my long runs, which, you know, I, I think I've got my feeling down. Certainly have it down to a science for Boston. I hope so, (laughs) So, Doc. I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So I just, you know, practicing fueling, keeping it easy. Um, this is probably the best I've ever done this time around with practicing fueling. So, um, I was getting up early, having my, my usual breakfast, the same, you know, toast or bagel, peanut butter, honey, banana, coffee plenty of time before and tried out the fuel. So, so I think I'm
0: all one week away, feeling good. Best of luck to you, Rachel. I really hope uh, race day goes well for you and uh, a taper week that you're, you're about to uh, embark on is uh, how you had planned it out. If someone wants to learn more about you, where can they, uh, where can they find you?
1: So I, um, you can go to my website, which is fuelbyracheldavis.com. Um, all of my social media accounts are on there. So that's instead of me rattling through all of those. But if you, sw- if you search Fuel by Rachel Davis anywhere um, or go to my website, you can go through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But I would say with the running, um, if you're interested in following the nutrition tips, that kind of stuff, I'm definitely most active on Instagram.
0: Right. And I saw you, saw you so, pumping up the, the Facebook group recently as well.
1: Yes, yes. I just started that. Um, As I'm finishing up my dissertation, I will be transitioning into, um, you know, providing more of the nutrition information. Um, I'm planning to get into some nutrition consulting. So you can kind of read about my story and plans on there. But that's why I'm kind of slowly starting all of these pages. But for now, I will I promise to keep them up as best possible with all the fun nutrition and running stuff while I'm Slowly but surely, finishing up my PhD. There you go,
0: and then you'll then you'll need then you'll have to in, embark on new outlets to write. You'll be like you'll be missing the writing yes. so much that you'll be like, all right, thank I goodness I started this Facebook group where I can now write two thousand right. words on adding honey and peanut butter to.
1: Right. Sorry. Yeah. I'll apologize in advance. If I get a little sciencey. No, I love it. <laughs> Break out some of the reasons. I, I, I tease,
0: but I love it. I actually, I'm, I'm part of that, that Facebook group. I definitely joined it. So I appreciate it.
1: I thank love you it. so much, Rachel. Good it. luck on
0: Monday. And uh, thank you for thank joining me. Thank
1: you so me. much. Thank you for having me. This was great.
0: Okay, that'll do it for the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And a big shout out to Rachel. Thank you for dropping all this knowledge here on the Rambling Runner podcast, not only about your running, but obviously about nutrition as well. Uh, so you got about 27 minutes of hearing from uh, an expert in nutrition. So I know I gained a lot from that. Also want to say thank you to Mercury Mile. If you want to get up to date Stylish stuff for your running, uh, running journey, whether that's gear, uh, accessories, or even food. Give Mercury Mile a shot. I definitely recommend it. Mercurymile.com and use Rambling Runner Ten at the promo code to save ten bucks and to help the show. I really appreciate it. Um, we got the April fifteenth meetup in Boston, um, just south of the Boston Common at the Boston Common Coffee Company, uh, one thirty to three thirty. I look forward to seeing you there. And lastly. I usually don't like to pimp this out, but I do like to to recognize people for doing it. Thank you so much. I got a bunch of iTunes reviews, or I say Apple podcast reviews, last week. um, And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's nice to know that you like the show. Uh, It means a lot to me. Uh, I love doing it, but it's great to hear that you enjoy listening. So thank you so much, and happy running.